0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. And today, Hayden, it is week six. We get a great look at so many great matchups, some we won't care about, but we're going to cover every single one today. After last week, 0-2 on my underdogs of the week. We'll throw those those this week, some bingies, some pick of minds as well. How are you looking? How's the slate look to you?
1: I'm just glad that we have a little bit of bye weeks. It feels like it's a little a couple games that we don't have to get to. It feels like there's less injury reports to grind. So hopefully we can after what an
0: hour and forty-five minute show last time, hopefully we can keep this closer to an hour. That's exactly what we first thought with with the two bye weeks. Maybe that would trim 20 minutes off the show. Let's not delay any further. And once again, Hayden, you get your ham and cheese croissant. We get a 9.30 a.m. game on Sunday, and we have to start there despite the matchup. And all of you, by the way, if you have any fantasy football questions, go and check out the Fantasy Blueprint, which is up on underdogfantasy.com. Let's dive into that game. Miami Dolphins, three-and-a-half-point favorites in London, 47 total. We know they're one and four. We know the Jaguars are 0 and 5. Hayden, it is week six, but these teams are ever-changing. Miami likely is getting Tua Tungavailo back at quarterback, and Jacksonville still is shifting their playmakers, quote-unquote, all over the field. Let's start with the Dolphins' side since they're favored. Uh, What does Tua being back equal for the pieces on the Dolphins that have left points on our bench in the last few weeks?
1: It's an upgrade. I just don't know how much of an upgrade. Just since the beginning of 2020, if you look at success rate among 53 qualifying quarterbacks, was at 36th. Jacoby Brissett's at 46. So there's a small upgrade. This is also injured Tua. And this offensive line is just beyond brutal. 28th and adjusted sack rate. And I don't think that Tua has the mobility like we uh, saw at Alabama after injuring his hip. So the matchup's good. Uh, n- no Devonte Parker, perhaps he's still not mm-hmm. practicing Will Fuller's on injured reserve. So it's basically Jalen Waddle, Mike Gasicki. And then last week we got Miles Gaskin. I think that this offense is very capped. And basically, if they
0: move the ball here, I think I'm just going to chalk it up to the Jaguars defense uh, being arguably even worse. Which is possible. I mean, Andrew Wingard, their safety as one of the safeties and all of worst safeties in all of football. Uh, I just don't know if Tua is immediately going to come back with the arm or without Devonte Parker and have any ability to go down there and uh, make plays. Look, at least on its surface heading into the season, Hayden, I thought we could look at the Dolphins and say at least they're going to be like a good defensive team. But right now, like I don't know what they are. I mean, they're 23rd and 21st and pass run pass and run defense. They're 29th and 26th on offense. They have a minus 75 point differential. They won in week one due to that fumble of Damian Harris in red zone situations. And they lost the Bills, Raiders, Colts, and the Bucks. It's not like those are four juggernauts, two great teams, but two average teams. So on the Dolphins end, it's it's where we're still acquiring information on this front. Yeah. And I think that mainly for the rest of like you know, the 10 weeks of the year, while this isn't a fantasy spin. It's going to define Tua Tungavilo's career, I think, as a Miami Dolphin with how much draft capital they have moving forward.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It could be uh, Tua to Houston or something for Deshaun Watson trade. We'll see. We'll track that, obviously, throughout the offseason. Real quick, going back to Miles Gaskin, I think a lot of people are trying to decide, is it Mike Gaskin's season or not? And it could be. But of note, last week, number one in uh, op. uh, opposing teams' neutral pass rate with the Bucks, everyone runs on the Bucks. The exact opposite for the Jaguars. The Jaguars are actually leading the NFL in uh, neutral pass rate against. Uh, so everyone just uh, running the ball on the Jaguars. So we could see Miles Gaston get a little more carries as usual. I would be pretty surprised if he sees six, seven, eight targets like he did last week. I wouldn't. I also wouldn't be that surprised if they mixed in Malcolm Brown a little bit more this week too. Yeah.
0: I think more so than anything, the Miles Gaskin dynamic was based on the opponent and not necessarily how they're going to use him moving forward, but they could. They might have opened that up and say, hey, this worked for him and worked for us last year. Why not do a little bit more of that moving forward on the Jacksonville's end of this? I think Trevor Lawrence is playing well. I know that a lot of the criticism was fair and warranted early on in the season. He seemed to tick late on a lot of his throws. Um, He was making really dangerous throws as well, but if you just look at like the last couple weeks, they obviously had that missed flea flicker against the Cardinals that was returned for a pick six. This past week, they had that fumble early on that was recorded for a, a fumble six. Then you see other plays with Trevor Lawrence, like a third and three outside the numbers throw to Marvin Jones for 25 yards. The same drive, it was like a second down and three and he was forced to spin out the left. It was a beautiful ball to to Tavon Austin down the field on the move. So while there's so many negatives going on with the Jaguars, at least it's a positive light that we can see like it's trending in the right direction, I think, for Trevor Lawrence the rest of the year. So does
1: that mean that you're talking up the Marvin Jones downfall the last couple of weeks is just kind of a small weak, little sample Uh, to me. Nothing's really changed. He's still the same player. In fact, DJ shark in theory means that Marvin Jones should get more targets. I don't think that Dan Arnold's all of a sudden going to be popping and like, I mean, I kind of disagree with a, you to I a mean, certain extent. Yes. But like not to have to impact Marvin Jones.
0: Look, well, when we think of the top 12 tight ends and now, you know, Dallas Goddard's not going to play tonight. We're missing Rob Gronkowski. Like the names like Ricky Seals Jones and uh, you know, Tyler Conklin are, are thrown out there at the tight end position. It wouldn't shock me at all. If we look back and Dan Arnold from here on out, or even thinking last week is a top 12 option because as soon as they got him, he was featured in this offense and they're actually looking for speed and size and some playmaking ability. And while, you know, match up to a wide receiver or other pass catchers, Dan Arnold's not the quickest or the fastest, but in terms of like a tight end, he's very mobile and he's a receiver first as well. So I think he is going to be featured for this team. He's a tight end two streamer, 32 of 43
1: routes last week, 10.2 expected half PPR points. That's all good. My my main thing was just that Marvin Jones is still the alpha, and I don't see any reason why, especially if Xavier Howard misses and he might be questionable going into this week. I think that Marvin Jones could easily have a bounce back week. I think that the other big discussion here, obviously, I think that we've, we've kind of solidified James Robinson as like a top 15 running back. He's getting all the usage and snaps, all that stuff. The question is, is what are we going to do with LaVisca Chennault I personally spent some fab dollars on him when somebody dropped him in uh, my league. And I was very disappointed because they moved him to the outside on 87% of the snaps. And I think there's a reason why he's been a slot receiver in the pros, just kind of his build more of a thick build, not really lengthy uh, could run you over. And I think that I was viewing him more as like a yards after the catch slot guy. And then they put him on the outside and I clipped it. And a lot of those, those routes on the outside, they were running and trying to get him go deeper downfield. I never felt like the corners were very threatened by him. Correct. And I think that's just because he's not that fast. So I hope they move him back on the inside this week, get him some uh, some screens and get him going in that way. I don't think that he's ever going to be like the 15-plus yard uh, downfield guy um, for the Jaguars. Yeah,
0: It was odd. When Chark went down, I guess because the game plan that they already had, they kept, obviously, Visca in the slot. Now – They have put him fully on the outside. And really, it's because they want to get Jamal Agnew the football because he is that explosive. He is that. Agnew. he is the, you know, manufactured touch player, as we talked about on the usage show, which everyone go out there and watch the film versus data video that you can find down below. Um, They are craving speed. And this yes. doesn't bring any of that to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm not like destroying his career here that he can be a power slot. I think is probably his best Avenue here, but on the outside, he looks like LaVisca Sanu, like he is slow. He's stuck in the mud. As you're saying, he defenders don't have to keep like, he doesn't, he's not honest with his vertical routes. They can just sit on them and then they're right in position for him. So whereas You know, if he's out there in 12 personnel all the time. Yes, that might be an uptick possibly, but I just don't know if he has the talent to earn targets. This discourse and conversation lately has been earning targets. And I don't think Visca is talented enough as an outside receiver to do that right now. And we saw that last week where Tavon and Jamal Agnew both had opportunities more so than Marvin Jones and the Visca Chenault.
1: And what was so strange is when they moved Visca to the outside he still wasn't an every down player. He only ran a route on 28 of 45 dropbacks. So typically when you see a slot guy go to the outside, that means that they're playing in all all situations, like 12 personnel, right. the whole thing. Visca was in a rotation. He actually played fewer uh ran fewer routes than Jamal Agnes. So I think that Visca right now is a person to keep on your bench. And I think that there are gonna be better days ahead. I hope that they put him in. But not the for the slots. season,
0: because isn't isn't Shark missing the entire
1: year? Basically, yeah, yeah, but don't you think that they can just move him to the inside and then he just earns a higher Who's target? Playing share? Outside?
0: Who's playing outside? Whoever,
1: like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, I don't care. I, I would, I hope that they move him to the slot. I think that's where he, he like you said, he's a power slot. He can be a yards after the catch guy. The Jaguars can be negative game scripts. He could still pay off. I just don't think that he's, I, I like his odds better on the inside that after watching that. that I, first I game think going
0: he's a lost cause under Urban Meyer. I truly feel that. Like, they were willing to move off of him this year. And go on to someone else. And now I part of me thinks that they're just putting on the outside and getting someone quicker and faster in the slot and having Marvin Jones be their number one outside receiver, too. So who knows? That There's a long way to go. And this is only like a one-week sample where we have this kind of usage. So a lot of things can change. Let's jump to a really fun game. Actually, the one o'clock window. We start off with the Los Angeles Chargers, four and one. Going to the Baltimore Ravens, who are three-point favorites at home, also 4-1, and a big total of 52 in this game. Hayden, there are two clear mismatches in this contest, all right? The Ravens' rushing offense on paper against the Chargers' rushing defense and the Chargers' passing game versus the entire Ravens' defense, but especially Anthony Averett. And it's become, like, common knowledge that the Chargers want you to run against them. The issue is, at least for me – no one on paper in the Ravens backfield who they're trusting Latavius Murray has the explosiveness to really like capture and possibly decide this matchup. But Lamar Jackson could all of a sudden just turn it on. Sure. I think Lamar Jackson
1: could have like a hundred plus rushing yards in this game. Uh, ESPN Seth Walder, he has a, a really cool column looking at uh, win rates on the offensive line. And he notes that the chargers have eight men in the box on just 9% of their runs. And the league average is at 24%. And if you look, the Ravens offense has at least as many blockers as defenders in the box on 87% of the runs, the highest rate in the league. Basically that means the Ravens are going to have somebody block every single person in the chargers up front. And I think that Lamar Jackson can run loose. I hope they get Tyson Williams. Maybe this is the week where they can get a couple more, even if it's just, 35% 35% of the snaps, 35% of the carries to get some explosive plays going for Tyson Williams. But I do think that th- this is going to be a situation to monitor with the Chargers. Just like last week, Nick Chubb went crazy. The Chargers are fine with the explosive play in the run game. They don't want the explosive p- play in the pass game. Yeah. And it's going to be a huge bat fight because the, the the Ravens all of a sudden, that's all they do is pass the ball. And they only right. pass the ball deep downfield. So you're seeing uh, it's a basically the same matchup as last week. Uh, just instead of Nick Chubb, it's it's Lamar Jackson.
0: You know, I I posted this tweet saying that Latavius Murray has 50 carries this season. Only one has gone for 10-plus yards. Meanwhile, Tyson Williams earlier this year, 31 carries. Six have gone for 10-plus yards. You know, it's not just me and you. It's Will Brinson. It's Greg Rosenthal. It's it's Ben Solak. None of us claim to be smarter than, than Greg Roman. But from an explosiveness standpoint, it just makes sense for Tyson Williams to be in the game. But it's a lost cause for us to talk about him. And Hayden... Shame on me for pointing out the Ravens running game first because this is a pass first team at the moment. Let's bring in our new co-host, Brandon Staley, to really break down Lamar Jackson's
2: game. You guys are all seeing what what I'm seeing is that you're seeing a player that's never played in the NFL. There have been some guys similar, but there hasn't been anybody like Lamar Jackson. Uh, He's truly one of a kind. He's truly a rare player, um, rare competitor. And all you got to do is go back all the way back to high school, Louisville, you name it. Everywhere he goes, you know, he's doing something, you know, amazing right before your eyes. And since he's become the quarterback of that team, you know, you've seen what's happened. Uh, And I think the thing that's unique about Lamar is that there's danger on every snap, okay? And there's danger running the football and there's danger throwing the football. And how he runs the football, it can be within the design of the play designed run game for him and it can be designed you know outside of the play and I think that uh, they do a really good job scheming to create air for him to take advantage of um, because they also have really good players to defend in the passing game and sometimes what's challenging is when you defend all these weapons that they have you got to, you know, some people forget that he's, you know, the, you know, the most dangerous guy that they have. So um, he's just truly a remarkable player. Um, and, you know, I think you saw his performance the other night. Uh, you know, this league is, you know, full of uh, superstars, but um, he's certainly at the top of the list.
1: Take it away. Hayden. He's just the best communicator too. Like he's so smart. And then he's also the best communicator. This was his second best clip of the week. His best clip was when he's talking about John Gruden, how he spun that about, actually talking about the minorities who is actually the problem in the situation, not John Gruden's comments. So uh, Brandon Staley is just the best. I he, right now coach of the year. He's at plus four fifty. smash that like that's that's automatic. And I'm also on top of Brandon Saley as the chargers for my upset of the week. They're catching a couple points here. And if you look at EPA per play, the chargers offense a tick better than the Ravens, but the big thing, and like it's came back to bite us before, but the Ravens are still missing 17 guys on injured reserve. The charger at five, so it's a, it's a very healthy Chargers team relative to uh, the Ravens. I really think that Brandon Staley is going to really figure this thing out. And I, I ultimately think that Justin Herbert can go one for one against Lamar Jackson, as incredible as Lamar is. The the one thing I, I got to give it to you here, Rashad Bateman, it seems like he might be playing, might be on a snap count. It sounds like uh, Sammy Watkins, he hasn't practiced this week. So we could see a Rashad Bateman versus Sammy Watkins Situation immediately here. Do you want to? I mean, do you think we should be picking up Rashad Bateman? Do you think you want to start him in deeper leagues?
0: Where do we go from here? So, we had this conversation Sunday night in our instant reaction shows. It actually might have been Tuesday, but I think earlier this offseason, when we didn't understand what this Ravens passing game could be, a lot of the conversation was built on, well, it's either Rashad Bateman or Marquise Brown, you know, like it was going to be one alpha wide receiver and then Mark Andrews there. I think we're at the point where we talk about the Rams, we talk about the Chargers, we talk about the Bills, the Chiefs, you know, these multi-pronged passing games. Maybe in three or four weeks, we look at the Ravens and say, hey, that's a possibility. That Marquise Brown kind of is the sponge for all the targets he's already getting. That Rashad Bateman occupies the targets that like James Brochet, Devin Duvernay, Sammy Watkins is getting. And somehow, Hayden, and I was looking at this, Mark Andrews has turned into Travis Kelsey in a lot of these situations in terms of when they're facing zone coverage. uh, Mark Andrews is like just finding beautiful openings. Like he's threatening vertically, turning around and just has, you know, the, the, the right to get open. And what did we see last week against the chargers? David and Joku went off. Now I think that the, way and the the avenue to get there is going to be slightly different because actually a lot of those David and Joku big plays were kind of delays where he was pass protecting then delayed out or flooded out and then boom caught passes and then ran for long gains which is very different. He was kind of an inline tight end and we know Mark Andrews that's not exactly his game. But to go back to your original question, Rashad Bateman, not someone I'm looking at early on. Excited to see if we see explosive elements there, because in multiple weeks, what we're seeing from Lamar Jackson in terms of his timing, he can unlock three passing game players.
1: The difference is right now the Ravens are 11th in neutral pass rate. I mean, they were an outlier. It's them and the Titans last year, 32nd and 31st in neutral pass rate. They're 11th right now, and their pace, because they're passing the ball more, has gone from lower levels all the way to 18th. So it's not like crazy like the Bills or anything like that. But this is in the downfield passing attack. We know that downfield passes are more valuable and they're passing the ball more and playing with more speed. So I'm with you. I do think that it's going to be probably more inconsistent for someone like Rashad Bateman. But if Rashad Bateman's as good as we think he is now, we know that I think that this passing offense could maybe pick two of the three pass catchers every week. And they'll have big weeks and one guy misses out. But but before it was like, we're hoping we get one. Right right, here, right now, we, we're getting at least one, possibly a second every single week.
0: Yeah, it's, again, because of Lamar's timing. I mean, he's taking layups as soon as they're open. He's staying patient when those windows are closing and allowing his wide receivers to alter their routes and then fitting it into those secondary windows. That threw to Hollywood Brown this past weekend. He was even. Lamar Jackson perfectly let him, and we know he can leave in those situations. I will bring up this, and this is something to monitor moving forward because we've talked about how great – The Ravens passing game is our buddy Nate Tice did a deep dive because we've always talked about like Greg Roman's spacing with these wide receivers and how it felt congested at times. Nate was searching for some improvement and there's no improvement. All these guys are kind of in still the exact same areas, but Lamar is just picking out the correct one and he's the one who's elevating the system right now. I'm not, you know, trying to be negative here on Greg Roman per se, but it is something that, hey, while on the surface and in the box score and in the result, it might look beautiful. It might also have to be Lamar continuing to play at this super accurate, super poised, super timely way in order for it to maintain, maintain that success. He's so, playing, but he's doing it. He's playing insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quickly in the charge. Cause I'm with you. This is my underdog pick of the week as well. They are seven of eight on fourth downs this year, which is third best in the NFL. Whenever you can have, four downs instead of just three to attack with Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, even Donald Parham and Jared Cook, so on and so forth. That just makes you so much more dynamic and so much more so much more explosive. So I, I think they are going to invite them to run as they always do. And then it's they're now one of these teams that can you keep pace in the fourth quarter because we know Justin Herbert can just make throws almost no one else in the league can make.
1: Yep, last note on the Chargers, Keenan Allen has converted one of his 10 red zone looks into touchdowns, that's going to regress. I just traded for Keenan Allen in one of my leagues. I'm very happy with that. When you're this high in fourth down aggressiveness, neutral pass rate, neutral pace, all that stuff, you got Justin Herbert, you got Brandon Staley, it's, you're going to get some serious points from the Chargers. I, that was the, the one thing when I was looking at all the Vegas lines and the spreads and all that stuff. The over-under for this game was just, it came out way too low. Yeah. These teams are balling out, and they're, they're changed teams and how aggressive they are, and how pass-heavy they are. And I think that we're a little late to adjusting that. I think this game's going over.
0: Yeah, I like that. Speaking of looking at lines, Hayden, this one caught my eye at first. Minnesota, one-point favorites on the road against the Carolina Panthers. They're obviously 2-3. and three. The Panthers are 3-2 and two after a miserable loss last week, a total of 46 in this game. Now, you know me. Heading into week five, extremely confident, was 4-0 on my underdogs, then, as you missed two last week, as one does, you start looking at yourself in the mirror. And I think everyone, when they look at this Panthers line this week, is going to say, how? Why is this possible? Carolina's a good team with a good quarterback. Christian McCaffrey still seems up in the air tremendously, but they just let it slip away last week. They really should be 4-1. and one. Why aren't they the ones who are favorite? So, Hayden, to me, I'm still on the Minnesota's line of this equation, and I think they're absolutely going to win and obviously cover that
2: one point.
1: Yeah, right now it's just Sam Darnold. It's just last week was, is, I mean, it was as as bad as it gets for like a, a veteran quarterback. So very concerning. The Vikings right now, Dalvin Cook has been uh, limited on Wednesday and Thursday. I think that this game has enough uh, wild card implications with two teams that are going to be battling for that fifth, sixth, and seventh seed that they're going to probably rush Dalvin Cook back out there um, full, full participant today. So yeah, so he's going to be back out there. He's going to be a top five top 10 guy. I think that uh, another week to play Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. The, the Panthers defense is good. I think that they're not like elite. And I think that the Vikings, the way Kirk cousins playing, I think that they could uh, put up some points
0: here. Yeah. So while the one Oh two and Dalvin cook is returning to practice, apparently Chris McCaffrey was not seen in the open portion of practice for media today after getting in limited work multiple times over the last few week weeks, that is not a great indication for him to play in this game. And Hayden, I think that that is a clear attachment to Sam Darnold's success over the last few weeks. Now, a two week sample is very, very small, but it, those have been Sam's worst performances of the yeah. year from like start to finish In other games. He's had some like miserable moments. Um, now, the other part of this to me, Hayden is, you know, without Christian McCaffrey, I at least could have thought if you told me that was going to happen for the season, well, the team has Terrace Marshall. Now the team has Robbie Anderson. Now it's not just going to fall on DJ Moore's shoulders. But now it's gotten to a point where it's falling on DJ Moore's shoulders and the offensive line's shoulders. I I don't know if this is an answerable question, Hayden, but how do we get Robbie Anderson and and Terrace Marshall more involved? And could it potentially happen this week? Because it really needs to. It really needs to. Well, Robbie Anderson's wide receiver 42 in fantasy usage over the
1: last four games. So it's not like this is like the Allen Robinson situation where like he's just not getting any targets. The problem is, is 46% of his targets are catchable per PFF. That's the second worst of qualifying. So only 46% of his targets catchable. And the reason why I think that is, is yes, Sam Darnold's having his problems, but it's not just Sam Darnold. This offensive line is dead last in ESPN's predictive pass block win rate metric. They're dead last in PFF's uh, pass blocking grade. And this week, they're getting the Vikings defense. That's third and adjusted sack rate. So I, I'm with you. I think this is a decent underdog pick. Uh, we're going to see Sam Darnold play under pressure here. And I don't think that offensive line is kind of like the the, the Dolphins situation. We always talk about how bad the offensive line is for the Dolphins. The Panthers are the same way. I think that they're, they're better coached on offense. They might have a slightly better pass catchers as well. So I think that's been the difference between the Dolphins and Panthers offense as a
0: start. And if McCaffrey doesn't play this week, I, I think the Vikings are just better at what they do. You know, yes, like Kirk Cousins is playing so well. And it's so weird to say that they are the more consistent team of this group, but they are because typically we get these ups for multiple weeks and then down for a few weeks with Kirk and then he bounces back with 400 yards. We're seeing super consistent player. And even with some offensive line struggles, you still have some really good offensive line when the Vikings like Brian O'Neill's is playing fantastic. Shout out to Oli Udo. They're starting right guard. Elon grad. What's up, buddy? And uh, but then they like got Christian Derosol back at times last week at left tackle and more so than anything, getting Dalvin Cook back while Alexander Madison a, a very good talent, Dalvin could take one to the house. And then Justin Jefferson, the way he eats up ground, looking like one of the best receivers out there in, in the league. So the strengths and the consistency of the Vikings is what stands out to me against really a Panthers team. To me, this is the turning point of their season because it's Minnesota, then the Giants, then the Falcons and the Patriots. Hayden, on paper, they could have been, you know, eight and one. Now, with how this is trending, potentially a 500 team, two or three losses, and getting to like the real difficult part of the schedule. Again, no one had an easier to me schedule to open up the season than the Panthers, and they really have to maximize it right now.
1: The good news is the NFC wildcard picture is like not that intimidating. We, we like the Fortnite kind of fallen off. The Bears, we'll see about them. So it's like them and the Vikings and the Saints, really, for like those like threatening wildcard teams. So I think that even they should win this game or like they need to win this game, but I do think that they're still like on pace to like be battling for that number seven seed. Yeah.
0: I I know. I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but this kind of feels like the season for the Panthers, especially in a competition with the Vikings potentially for a wild card spot. Once we get to the, uh, to the end of the year, this probably Anderson stuff. I know we talked about it and I'll just make a closing point. It doesn't make any sense to me because he was amazing last year. I, I don't know. I want to dive into it more if it doesn't hit this, this week Hayden, like just the usage because last year was a lot more short and intermediate stuff. I know they want to throw down the field more often, but like when you're struggles, why not do some stuff that worked last season? Do you know what I'm saying? Is, that, yeah, that, sure. is it that simple? Yeah, he, he's the downfield threat and that's all he is right now. And that's, but he showed more fantasy. than that last year. That's what's
1: frustrating right. about it. Well, it's they're just really giving the true. ball to DJ more and the DJ more stuff looks pretty good. That's true.
0: That's true. Okay. The Kansas city chiefs are two and three, but this week, Seven-point favorites on the road against the Washington football team who are also 2-3. and Just feels way different. Big total in this one, though, 55-and-a-half. Focusing on the Chiefs, they have the 32nd-ranked defense in the league, the second-worst turnover differential in the league at 7. Negative 7, I should say. Minus 9 in point differential, yet they have the number one offense per DVOA in the NFL. Talk me through it, Hayden. How does this roster construction and how it's playing out in the field make sense? Well, I hope
1: that they get Josh Gordon more involved. That's just kind of a pipe dream, though. But I think that the the big news is what the Bills did. They didn't blitz Patrick Mahomes a single time. And Benjamin Solak wrote a column about this. Nobody's blitzing Patrick Mahomes. And it's working to a certain degree, except Patrick Mahomes is still... Leading the league in all of the, the passing categories, despite all the all the turnovers. Uh, of note, Washington is dead last in EPA per play when playing in the two high shells. And right now, nobody's facing two high shells at the same rate as Patrick Mahomes. Like 66% of the plays, like typically it's like around 40. So uh, what Washington's bad at right now in secondary, they can still get after it with the pass rush communication on the back end and they play a little cover three a little cover four and they just keep getting roasted because they keep leaving guys on crossing routes and you can see a massive game from Tyree kill here if Tyree kill is truly healthy and the Chiefs are coming out here and both teams can't play defense this could be like the 226 yard Tyree kill game uh very easily the, the Washington secondary is just all out of sorts right now
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't know if we can pick a Benji for Tyreek Hill because that's a bit too easy. But, Hayden, it kind of has been two different seasons for Tyreek. I mean, in Weeks 1 and Week 4 against the Browns and the Eagles, he combined for 22 receptions, 383 yards, and four touchdowns. But then you look at the Ravens, which is a well-coached defense, the Chargers, Brandon Staley, the Buffalo Bills who have turned their defensive game around in comparison to last year with talent and coaching, 15 catches, for 133 yards and and no touchdowns so I'm with you Tyreek Hill possible massive game here because to me I don't know what Jack Del Rio brings the table right now and it's also vanilla and there were times last week when Landon Collins uh, no it wasn't Landon Collins it was someone no yeah it was Landon Collins it's like a single high safety and they just ran right by him like what the hell is going on that's not the player you want back there but I'm I'm with you with with Patrick Mahomes. He has eight completions of 20-plus yards this season. That's 14th in the NFL. That's fewer than his counterpart in this game, Taylor Heineke, fewer than Teddy Bridgewater, and the same as as Carson Wentz. But still, this underrated aspect of Patrick Mahomes' game is the quick game and the short game and all that kind of stuff. You just get like a real explosion spot when defenses aren't good enough talent-wise or coach well enough to hit those downfield shots, and we expect them in this game, I think.
1: We, we don't need to lose sight just because the Chiefs' defense is so bad, what the offense is doing. They're first in EPA per play, first in success rate, second in EPA per dropback, first in success rate on dropbacks, third in success rate on rushes. So, I mean, like, this offense is, like, never seen before. And it's just dink and dunk, dink and dunk all the way down the field. But it's impossible to stop. They just had a bunch of red zone uh, turnovers. But a lot of those are very right. fluky stuff. Like, in, if they convert those, we're talking about Patrick Mahomes – And Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey going like all the way uh, to the moon here. So I I think that this is a good spot to fully bounce back. I don't trust Washington's uh,
0: secondary at all right now. I'm I'm with you, but sometimes when your defense is this bad, those fluky turnovers can – There's more pressure on them. And can shape like the entire course of the season. Because we see at times it doesn't equal out for an entire season. And like, you know, earlier in the year, Patrick Holmes was making some bad throws and like making some bad turnovers. And this past weekend – I think it was what, like three interceptions that were all fluky, like deflections yeah. or, you know, bad. Pl- anyways, so it to me, when you have a defense that can be this negative and this detrimental, you almost have to play perfectly, like Mahomes did last season and a couple of seasons ago, yeah. you know? Um, what about the running backs? We haven't talked about the running backs at all here because with no Clyde Edwards layer, I even looked at this. They had the fifth. Ranked offense, rushing offense, according to DVOA, the run blocking much better than the pass blocking. So, I like Ceh as a player, but as a talent, it's not working out for him. He's not bringing anything to the table. Then enter Daryl Williams. You can probably say the exact same thing about him and Jarek McKinnon as well. So, like, what I'm trying to say, if Ceh was productive in certain areas, and especially high value touches. I think Daryl Williams can be equally as productive in those areas and those high value touches.
1: Agree. Last week after CH got hurt, uh, Daryl Williams outsnapped Jarek McKinnon 24 to 8. And when you just look at the profiles of a Jarek McKinnon passing down back, and when CH got hurt, they were down three scores to the Bills. So, like if Jarek McKinnon was getting only 25% of the snaps, when they were getting blown out, and now the the Chiefs are seven point favorites here, we should expect a bunch of Daryl Williams. I think that he is an upside RB two. You can pick up Jarek McKinnon just, just for lulls. But I think that uh, if he's playing on the field, that means things have gone uh, pretty bad for the chiefs offense. I think
0: just quickly, it has been back to back DNPs for Tyree kill this week, but I think we all expect him to play on the other side of this. Let's talk about, and obviously Joe, Joe Chooney has been out as well, and he's one of their most impactful offensive linemen. Uh, Washington's been dealing with some injuries As we know, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, Dayami Brown. One we've focused on is Antonio Gibson. Whenever you talk about the Chiefs' offense, you need to bring up the running attack on the opposing, the Chiefs' defense, the opposing rushing attack. Antonio Gibson, this is straight from Scott Turner's mouth. No, he's good. He's not limited. We take care of him during the week, so we make sure he's ready to go. Once Sunday hits, he's ready to go. So, Hayden, Antonio Gibson... The game plan for Washington here should be to run the ball early and often. And Tony Gibson might be the biggest beneficiary of the Sunday slate.
1: For sure. If the Chiefs don't score 21 points in the first quarter. it's like that's like the big thing. So you're playing with fire here. But I, I agree that uh, Washington is going to want to run the ball. The problem right now, though, is Brandon Sheriff hurt his knee. He's probably not going to play. And right now, rookie right tackle Sam Cosme, he didn't practice on Wednesday because an ankle injury. Right. Right now, he's fourth in run block win rate per ESPN. Fourth out of all tackles. So that's their best two offensive linemen and the two really strong run blocking offensive linemen. So we have to kind of pay attention to see if those guys get back because that would kind of counteract some of the uh, poorness of, of the Chiefs linebackers.
0: The big thing for Washington in recent weeks has also been four-point plays, especially this past weekend against the New Orleans Saints. Like, Taylor Heineke's just not converting those. I mean, there was an early turnover by the Saints, so they got got the ball at the 27. It was third and three, great protection, open receiver. He missed it. Jameis Winston immediately comes back with a 70-yard touchdown. Game gets out of hand a little bit. Next drive, they get the five-yard line, another misplay, field goal. So, Even with two first quarter turnovers that Washington got last week, they still were almost blown out in that contest. He's not good. Well, I don't want to say he's not good. He's a quality backup to me, but when you have to possibly hit throw for throw against two bad defenses, when you're facing Patrick Mahomes here, like if they had a good defense, Washington did then Taylor ranking, you can get by with him. But We know that like he's even trying outside the numbers throws from the far hash in the red zone. And that's not working out. Those are, those are turning into interceptions. So, all right, next game. What an interesting one. The four and one Green Bay Packers, four and a half point favorites on the road, Chicago bears who are actually three and two. They're actually three and two 45 total. We have to start with the running back position here, Hayden, because rewind back to week five. Montgomery on IR. Damien Williams, we expect him to hop in, and he did with a good amount of touches. I think it was 19 last week, high-value touches as well. Well, just as we started booting up this show, Damien Williams has been placed on the reserve COVID list. So that brings us to rookie Khalil Herbert. Your thoughts after watching Khalil Herbert last week?
1: Coming in as a rookie, I thought that he kind of is a stocky runner, can run between the tackles. And that's exactly what he did uh, in his debut, and he was a, basically a cutback machine. I was very intrigued by his tape, and I noticed after re-watching it that he actually was playing in the two-minute drill situations. And that was in the first half, too, when Damian Williams was still like heavily involved. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they trusted him. He had an awesome uh, blitz pickup as well in the middle of the game. So I think that right now it's going to be Khalil Herbert season. We can see 20 touches because right now the Bears – if you just look at what they're trying to do on offense, they're 28th in pace, 28th in pass rate, and they're getting sacked a ton still, and they're really very inconsistent moving the ball through the air right now with Justin Fields. So I do think that they want to be pretty balanced in offense, especially against the Packers. Historically, the Packers, a lot of too high coverages on the back end, and they're inviting you to run the ball as well. So uh, very interesting stuff for Khalil Herbert. He His tape, I thought, was definitely passable. I think that the role is bankable, and I think that he... Is a volume based uh, RB2, even if we expect the Packers to uh, win this game.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Even though I look at this Bears offense at the moment and I'm still waiting to see something or like figure out their identity a little bit without David Johnson, because like now in two wins, Hayden, that have been pretty convincing, just uh, excuse me, Justin Fields only has 37 passing attempts for 320 yards and like very few design runs very few chosen runs on passing plays. And if you, like, ask me again in the summer, like, hey, we're getting Justin Fields as a starter here, I would expect downfield passing, explosive plays, opening it up. And we're not getting any of that. And they're still winning. They're still winning, but we're not really getting any of that. But I think part of that is the game script they found themselves in the last two weeks.
1: Yes, so so I think that's the biggest thing is they weren't threatened because their defense is actually playing well. And that's, that's like just good coaching and good scheme right now. Cause they, there was a lot of turnover on, on the bears um, this off season and they just been controlling the games and they're not asking Justin Fields to throw the ball downfield. I will say though, when he is throwing the ball uh, the last two weeks, it has been a lot of downfield shots, a lot of intermediate shots. And he's, he's been pretty hit and miss on those, but like when he's completing them, it looks really pretty. And that arm strength is, is pretty cool to see. So I hope with no Jair Alexander uh, yep. for, for the Packers And I don't think Kevin King's playing. Like, Not that that really matters. I think that you could see a good spot here for Justin Fields to have by far his best passing production here. And hopefully that brings Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney with them. But it's I I would still not feel too great uh, trotting Allen
0: Robinson to starting lineups and situations to monitor as we get to Sunday. Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack and Allen Robinson did not practice on Thursday. I don't think Allen Robinson, though, has missed a game since like 2018. So we expect him, hopefully, to uh, to be out there. Anything on, on the Packers' end of this, Hayden? Because we know constantly Aaron Rodgers is able to find Devontae Adams on the outside. The one name that has popped up in recent weeks is A.J. Dillon. I could just leave it as, is A.J. Dillon a thing? And is it something that we should be monitoring here as we look into bye weeks? And my answer would be no, because in passing game work, Aaron Jones ran routes in 71% of Aaron Rodgers dropbacks last week. AJ Dillon, despite his four catches, four, nine yards, and a touchdown, only 24% of pass routes on dropbacks.
1: AJ Dillon's the RB 47 in fantasy used over the last four weeks. So like last week he caught some targets, but it was only on 10 routes. So I think bottom line, if you're starting AJ Dillon in a 12 team league, your team is effed. So effed. <laughs> like it's it's not happening. Uh I do think that he's earning a couple more snaps because he looks good, and that could negatively impact Aaron Jones a little bit. But I think that we kind of know where this offense is. One exception, though, is this week we got good news. Center Josh Myers and then Elton Jenkins, who they've been playing at left tackle, he can also kick into guard. They both practice on Wednesday after missing. So the Packers offensive line really quietly. They're always very well coached and it hasn't impacted them too much. But they've been really banged up on the offensive line. This is like the first week where they're actually getting Healthier, and then eventually David uh, Bakhtiari is going to come back too. Okay, ready? Light bulb
0: moment here. Okay, in order for the Bears to win, they have to mimic what the New Orleans Saints did in Week One. All right, so control possession, long, long stretches of runs, shorter pass plays, and then hit the deep shots when they do open up. Now, the issue with that is, you know, the Saints' offensive line at the time is much better off than the Bears is. At this moment, I'd put Alvin Kamara up there instead of Khalil Herbert, even though we think Khalil Herbert is a fine start this week (laughs) as well. Uh, But in that game, you had Aaron Rodgers until like one minute, 20 seconds left on the clock and they have like 11 plays on the field and they were down by two touchdowns in that moment. But to me, that's like where Chicago and their best avenue to win here is a lot of controlled clock and then explosive plays down the field with Justin Fields.
1: That's been their MO. That's what they've been trying to do for the last three weeks.
0: But that's, I think much easier said than actually done against this Packers team. Cause that might only happen one time every season. All right. Fun game. Nine and a half points. The Rams are favored by on the road against the New York giants who are one and four. We know the Rams are four and one still argue. one of the best teams in the NFL, a total of 47 and a half here. I actually want to focus on the Giants to start, if that's okay with you, Hayden, because there is turmoil on the Giants roster. Daniel Jones is trending towards playing despite concussion-like symptoms this past week. We know Saquon Barkley is out with an ankle injury in steps Devonte Booker, who handled 100% of the snaps last week in his absence. So Shepard is now practicing consistently, which is good to see. And most importantly, we saw Kadarius Tony break out last week. So... Talk to me about these moving pieces in a game where there are massive underdogs and potentially negative game script to work in with Tony and Shepard on the field, really for the first time this season.
1: I'm going to be assuming that Kenny Galladay is not going to play, and then the starting receivers is going to be Kadarius, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and they can put Tony on the outside or on the inside. Same thing with Sterling Shepard. They're very interchangeable pieces. Now, they're totally different type of players, Sheldon yeah. Shepard way more consistent. Kadarius Tony way more explosive. Uh, but I think that one of those two guys are going to be the guys. I think that Kadarius Tony right now would be my bet just because of how explosive he is. We want them to be on the outside this week because Jalen Ramsey is almost exclusively playing in the slot. And that's like the last thing I need is Jalen Ramsey just throwing Kadarius Tony uh, through the roof and Kadarius Tony could easily punch Jalen Ramsey if after getting shut down for a couple quarters. So we need Kadarius Tony to be an outside receiver, this week, but I, I do think that carries Tony as much as we would like to see it. The Giants are projected for, for just 19 points. That's a third for you on the slate. I would call him a flex play, even though we have that crazy production. Uh, assuming Daniel Jones is healthy and the other two guys are back out there.
0: Hmm. Lots to digest there, Hayden. Uh part of me wonders if they start grooming Kadarius Tony for an outside role last week. We talked about this on the usage show because he had 36 of 46 snaps in the slot in week three, 31 of 50 in, in week four. In this past week, just 12 of 37. Or was some of that with Mike Glenn, the ball game, was part of that, all the wide receiver injuries around them. But I think we can sit back and say that Sterling Shepard is at his best in the slot. He's proven that in the games he has played this season. Now, can we also say that that's where Kadarius Tooney's at his best? Arguably in these last two weeks, Hayden, we've seen Kadarius Tony win everywhere, you know? For sure. And if you ask me, like, hey, Jan Ramsey's playing the slot, that's where Sterling Shepard's gonna play 80% of the snaps, and you know, Tony's playing 80% of the snaps out wide, I'll probably lean Tony in this matchup over Sterling Shepard. Is that also fair?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that we want the guy to play on the outside here for sure. But I, I think that in a vacuum Give me Kadarius. That guy's just, he's balling out right now. Uh, Real quick, this can be a conversation for the pre-draft season, but I think those people with the draft models out there, myself included, if you do not put a team strength, college team strength, recruitment, something like that into your model, you are vastly underestimating the Florida guys, the Clemson guys, the Alabama, the Ohio State guys. Andy Isabella and Michael Thomas should not have the same projection in your models just because of their early breakout age. It's harder for Michael Thomas to earn targets as a freshman. Kadarius Tony was a quarterback in high school and he was dealing with Kyle Pitts and Van Jefferson and a bunch of other uh, fringe like day three prospects too. So Kadarius Tony, his prospect profile was not elite, but there's a slight exception we need to make against uh, the elite, elite programs. It's just harder
0: to get on the field. Um, at Florida as a freshman compared to like UCLA. And everyone out there drink, cause you've heard me say this before, but this isn't just for NFL draft season. This is also for a fantasy draft season. When you get to a point when these high draft capital players, all the negatives are, are baked into it, you know, take five steps back, survey the field and say, Hey, are we triple counting, double counting all these negatives? We wore with Kadarius Tony. It's a freaking long season. Just think back to Odell Beckham's rookie year where he did nothing in the first three or four or five weeks, and then he exploded for a huge second half of the season. That was historic. Not saying that's possible here, but with those round 16, 17, 18 options at wide receiver, all that we're looking for, at least in best ball, is three or four usable weeks. If we get that out of any of those guys, that's incredible. And just surveying some of the best teams in best ball we need to right now, a lot of them have A.J. Green and Kadarius Toney on their teams and they've already gotten one or two or three usable weeks out of all of them combined. So I think that that's something we need to think about when we get to fantasy draft season as well.
1: First round pick Athletic, first round pick that was
0: balling out at Florida. Like this isn't yeah. like that crazy of a prospect profile either. Anything on the Rams? Um I know prior to this week we finally got some really great Robert Woods opportunity, volume, we've gotten the usage heading into it. The squeaky wheel has been greased. Do we go back to it? Does it keep on spending this week hating against the Giants secondary?
1: If you look at passing EPA, the Rams are first per drop back, And then if you look at the Giants on defense, they're down at 26. So this is an eruption spot for, for Stafford and for Robert Woods, for Cooper Cup, and jam all of them in. Tyler, Tyler Higby, if you're looking for a, a tight end 1-2 guy, throw him in there as well. I think that Robert Woods already back up to RB or wide receiver uh, 15 fantasy usage over the last four
0: weeks. Yeah, you, you got to play all these guys. All right, let's jump to the 3-2 and two Cincinnati Bengals going against the 0-5 and 5 Detroit Lions. A total of 47 and a half here. And actually a little surprising to me, Hayden, the Bengals just three and a half point favorites here. I know it's on the road, it's in the dome. Let's talk about the Bengals offense real quick. We know that Jamar Chase is running hot. T. Higgins, who for long portions of fantasy draft season was going neck and neck in drafts next to Jamar Chase, had seven targets for five catches and 32 yards in his return. He's the type of player that people get an itch to put directly back into their lineups when he returns to the field. Well, last week wasn't great. What about this week, Hayden, against potentially the worst secondary in the NFL and the Lions?
1: The last two weeks, the Bengals have been passing more in neutral situations. That also cor- correlates with Joe Mixon and not playing every down. With Samaj P. Ryan being uh, probably ruled out, I think that Joe Mixon is going to come back in here and be an every down player Uh-oh. like he we'll was. Got some news for you. What happened? You see
0: this before we go. Yeah, Joe no, Mixon this, did this not practice fine. here today. Are this you sure? Is, this is going to be Tell the be people off. why it's okay.
1: This is going to be a day. Off. There there's quotes that they were going to play through and, and, and limit him. I think that Joe Mixon is going to be out there. Uh, if not, Chris Evans, if you're in a deeper league, go for it. Why not? But I do think that the, when Joe Mixon's healthy, uh, and a, a, especially when uh, Joe Burrow's in the hospital for, for throat issues, I think that they're going to try to be a little more balanced. And if you just look at what the Bengals are doing on offense, 31st in neutral offensive pace, like that's just not going to cut it. And they're 16th in neutral pass rate with Joe Mixon, mostly out of the lineup for the last couple of weeks. And I think that the biggest thing, and we talked about it with the Seth Galina piece from last week, is if you just look – the Bengals offense is just not threatening anywhere downfield, except for some of these splash plays from Jamar chase. And I think that the biggest thing is they want to go to spread and empty sets, and then they don't have the offensive line to buy time. They don't have that arm strength that Matthew Stafford has, and they don't run with any, uh, no huddle, no nothing. And like Seth was saying, it's walking to the line of scrimmage, it's hike and it's Joe burrow throwing the the best little route four yards downfield. So this is a very limited offense right now. I, I think that there is a chance that they can th- pick up the pace, throw the ball a little more. And the wide receivers are all sick. T Higgins, Jamar chase, Tyler Boyd, all, all are ballers. But I think just the way that they're constructed and the, where burrows own limitations are right. It's hard to fully see this offense go uh, completely unlocked.
0: And I think that's where the dilemma still pops up because while we're still here in week six and, maybe we should detach ourselves from where we drafted some of these players. It can be difficult, especially an offense, Hayden, that is creating explosive plays as Jamar Chase. And some people sit back and say, well, why can't those go to T. Higgins? Why can't Tyler Boyd make things happen? It's because, like what you're saying, if they are throwing down the field, it's only to Jamar Chase. I mean, he has and 20 plus 20-plus target, yard targets, 12 of them this year, and he is even more than running hot whatever the, the ball is before then, because he has six catches and the six catches he has four touchdowns. And yeah. look, I am not going to be the one to predict when that ends. And I'm absolutely not going to be the one to predict. That's going to end against the Detroit lines, but I don't think that is sustainable in the way that the Bengals are playing right now. And then it also limits both Higgins and Boyd in unison. Like when they're combined, because the volume just isn't there yeah. either. So it's, to me, it's start Jamar Chase. And like, as we hit buys, the other Bengals options at wide receiver get a little bit better, but they are not running with pace. They're not running with volume and they're not running in terms of large air yards unless it's, unless it's Chase. And that's it. That's where we are with the Bengals right now.
1: The, the T Higgins stuff's a big deal for Tyler Boyd in particular. He's averaging four fewer expected half BPR points that just his regular usage is not there because they're just not running enough pass plays right now. And with all that said, they're playing the Lions. The Lions. Great. Let's stay positive. Their five, their five <laughs> best uh, defensive players are not playing. So, yeah. like, take all that stuff and just set your lineups as usual this week. We kind of keep this in the back of your
0: head of just, like, keeping the expectations in check for the Bengals. And look, who knows what happens with the Bengals as we go along. Now, does Joe Burrow, at least to my eyes, look healthy? Absolutely not. Is he, like, turtling in the pocket when there's disruption? Yes, he is. Like Seth Galena wrote, is Zach Taylor using the table of contents of Sean McVay's playbook? Yes, he is. But it's working, and we're just not trying to question it in the moment, but warning that there potentially could be a change as we move forward as they face face more difficult opponents. All
1: right. Uh, Real quick. quick. I almost picked Joe Mixon for my Benji of the Week,
0: so we'll, we'll, we'll track the almost picks as well. Like that. Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts. We can keep this one quick. Colts are nine and a half point favorites here. They're one and four. Both teams are one and four total of 42 and a half while still. And so many of you love this analogy. Carson Wentz looks like a trebuchet out there throwing the football. He's at least comfortable in a Frank Reich offense. And more importantly for us, Hayden, he's getting the football to Michael Pittman through an accurate ball somewhat last week that Pittman turned into a touchdown. Um, There are still pieces that we love. I think that we can start Michael Pittman on a weekly basis and we can start Jonathan Taylor on a weekly basis. Is there anyone else in this game of relevance or do you just want to stick to those two names?
1: Nope. And then I'll throw in Brandon cooks on the other side. You can play him. He's not getting shadowed or double bracket coverage from bill Belichick. And I think we can get out of here. Michael Pittman, Brandon cooks,
0: Jonathan Taylor. You're starting those guys and you're getting hell out of here. Do you want to add that David Johnson looks dope in the passing game? They're getting him out there motioned out as like a legit wide receiver. It's a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) I think that the Texans, what they did to the Patriots last week was entirely fluky. Uh, Narrow win there for the Pats. And uh, I'm excited to see when Tyrod comes back though, because hopefully they can get some of that magic that they got earlier in the year as well. All right. Halfway point, a little more than that. Almost time for the four o'clock games before we get there, everyone, 60% of you that watch these, videos, these programs, this content, not subscribed. You fools. Haters. What are you doing? Haters. I'm even seeing new people in the chat. Love the chat, by the way. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed, be in here for these live shows. Roe is here. Scampers, as always. Dave, Nathan with an E. Nick, Ryan, all of you are answering each other's start sick questions. I absolutely love to see the community around the show. Blossom as we move forward. Check us out on the clips. Check out these live shows. We have this one. We have one Sundays, one at 10 a.m. to set your optimal lineups, do some pick'ems as well. Another instant reaction show at 7 30 on Sundays and our usage show bridging the previous week and the next week on Tuesdays at 5 30 as well. So be on the lookout for those. Like and subscribe, all of you. I appreciate it. On the road to 10K. Okay. Let's have some fun here, Hayden. Let's jump to the Arizona Cardinals. Undefeated, but underdogs this week against the Cleveland Browns. By three points, a total of 49 and a half. I know there's a ton of actionable fantasy information to have here, Hayden. But I want to start by taking a walk down narrative street with Baker Mayfield. If that's okay. All right, Go for it. A couple weeks ago, totally outplayed. By Kirk Cousins, but it was in a win, so that might be forgotten about. Last week, threw some good passes, put up a bunch of points, but lost to Justin Herbert and the Chargers with a failed two-minute drill at the end of the game. And now you get Kyler Murray. This contract cloud will be over him for the entire season. What do you expect from Baker and the Browns offense against the Arizona Cardinals defense this week? That
1: is... I think the most interesting question in the NFL is just what do you do with Baker Mayfield because he doesn't deserve to be the top end quarterback. But the Browns have a Super Bowl window; they can win a Super Bowl with Brown- with Baker Mayfield right now because the rest of the roster is just completely unlocked. So, like, what do you do next off season? But for this week, I think that the the couple big notes um, on the Browns offensive line right now: Jack Conklin and J.C. Treader both have not practiced due to knee injuries. Uh, we have to keep monitoring that because Chris Hubbard, their backup uh, right tackle. He's also on injured reserve. So this could not be the elite Browns offensive line. And that's kind of bad. news. just because uh, this was a game where you could really get going on the ground with Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt because the Cardinals rank 31st in run stop win rate. Um, so I think that even if those guys are out, Nick Chubb is still going to be able to rip off big plays because the Cardinals linebackers. I think that the one story on the other side of the ball, though, is Kyler Murray kind of got banged up and it was his throwing shoulder late last week. Don't love that. He was limited Um, In practice. So I think that this is one of the things where you're obviously starting Kyler and Deandre and all those guys, and you're hoping you get big weeks from one of the other receivers, but I don't love that, that throwing shoulder uh, injury from Kyler. So I think that's going to be like the biggest, my biggest takeaway from this game.
0: Yeah. Let's bounce back and forth between these two offenses. And I'll keep going with, with Kyler and, and the Cardinals. I mean, it was a season low in points last week against the San Francisco 49ers 17, the next lowest over the other four games, 31. I mean, he took some serious sacks last week. The kind where, you know, he drifts 10 to 15 to 20 yards back. And then at the last moment, tries to spin out. And then both time, defensive ends were able to corral him. One was Nick Bosa. The other one, I think, was DJ Jones and get him down for the sack. Guess who the Cleveland Browns have? Miles Garrett, anyone? I mean, talk about a guy who can win off the snap and also on extended plays, plus some interior disruption as well. That's an area to monitor. Drop snaps, I mean, a missed third to DeAndre Hopkins. That was kind of the worst caliber performance we've seen all year, and that's why we're starting to see, you know, more Tom Brady, more Lamar Jackson conversation, MVP circles right now. There's also, we talked about in the Usage Show, a change potentially with his offense that also was running hot all season long. The team had a total of 61 snaps. Max Williams left after 25 of them. Christian Kirk had 33. Rondale had 29 basically equal to the other tight end that stepped in and Demetrius Harris. So far and away, we know the Cardinals lead the NFL in four wide receiver sets, but that's just at 22%. So without their best tight end out there, that allows them to be versatile, which also keeps one of the slot receivers out between Kirk and Rondale. Could we see that drift to, I don't know, 30, 35%? What's your prediction here for the changes in this offense?
1: I think Rondale Moore's snap counts are going to go up and up and up. And I think that, Part of it is going to come at the expense of the backup tight end. And I think that some of it's going to come out from Christian Kirk. And right now, if you just look at fantasy usage over the last four weeks, DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver 28. We don't really love that, but at least he's separating a little bit from the pack. A.J. Green, wide receiver 49. Rondale Moore has actually overtaken Christian Kirk. Wide receiver 53 to wide receiver 59. So if I were ranking these, I would go Nuke, A.J. Green, Rondale, and then Christian Kirk. And I think that we're going to start seeing – uh, the boat go up for all of them, but in particular, Lee uh, Rondell Moore here, something to track Denzel Ward, if, if he's going to play or not. When I, whenever I'm watching Denzel Ward, he looks really good. So yeah. um, he would get DeAndre Hopkins if, if he's
0: able to suit up. I like that. And then on the Browns end, you mentioned the rushing attack, it's their identity. It's who they can be each and every week. I mean, they forced 16 missed tackles last week on just 35 rushing attempts and 87% of the Browns' 200-plus rushing yards came after contact last week. I think that came from our buddy, Cleve T.A. That is unbelievable, and I understand there were you know, concerns in the first four weeks, and I joke about this all the time, that Nick Chubb wasn't getting high-value touches. He wasn't finding the end zone. Hayden, to me, it's going to be back-to-back weeks of unbelievable play from Nick Chubb. We're going to see it again here, and he is just the king of being an explosive runner. Now, also on the Browns' end, we know that Baker – To Odell, should have worked out against the Vikings. It did not. The eyes went in other directions after like a failed fourth and two this past week with Odell. To me, we bring it up every single week. I see explosive, concise, athletic Odell Beckham out there every single Sunday still. But on paper, this Cardinals passing defense is very good. Should we see like anything new or of note potentially here in the passing game for the Browns?
1: I think the, the Cardinals secondary is playing better than we thought, but there's a couple of those guys that are currently on the injury report. And if you look, the Cardinals are actually 23rd against fantasy wide receivers. So it's been more of just the pass rush. And then because the Cardinals are so explosive on offense, there are definitely outs for Odell Beckham uh, to come back in here. And of note, we said it on the last show, but Odell Beckham's only converted of one of his seven Twenty plus air yard targets. Those are the most volatile targets in in, in the world, and we're. It's not because Odell's not getting open. He's getting open on them, and right. Baker Mayfield's at least good enough to throw the ball to Odell Beckham over the course of the season. At least we hope. So I think that Odell Beckham is going to be a very inconsistent wide receiver three flex. But if you told me Odell Beckham had uh, six catches, 144 yards, and two touchdowns here, I would not be that surprised at all.
0: Yeah, my old friend Chris Sims did a really good job on his show, Chris Sims Unbuttoned, outlining that even though David Njoku was making plays on some of his successful routes, Odell was wide open on those, and Baker was just going to the shorter patterns that were open, and a lot of that was because Odell was out there. So who knows what can happen moving forward. But again, the talent is still there. By the way, on Pick'Em, on Underdog, as you can see, Kyler Murray, 321 total yards Right now, that's the line against the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield, 256 passing yards against the Arizona Cardinals. As always, you can turn your free $10 into $200 in one day by picking five correct. Use promo code the show. Skip the guacamole. Deposit on Underdog for the first time. and You get that free $10. Pick five correctly, and you get $200 bucks off that $10. Bucks. 20 exit. Go out and do it. All right. Also, Roddy Hudson might be out for the Cardinals. That's a big deal. They have these weird COVID situations as well. Chandler Jones is on the COVID list despite being vaccinated. There are two more unnamed people, so that's another dynamic to monitor as we go along.
1: Also, like Nick Chubb's not practicing yet. Like, there's a lot of things. Cream Hunt hasn't practiced this week. Like, this is a game on Sunday morning on our on our pregame show in the mornings on Sunday that we're going to have to like recover. There's too many good players, and all of them are like either have the vid or they've got a twisted ankle or something.
0: We gotta play the best plays. Hayden yeah. we gotta do it. Yeah. Let's jump to the uh, Dallas Cowboys four and one four point favorites on the road. 51 total against the New England Patriots who are two and three. you and I talk about it every single week. This is a much different Dallas team than open last season as like the number one passing offense, throwing it all over the field because they had to. Now what we have established with Dallas Hayden, is that they can beat you in every single way. They can have a Tony Pollard game. They can have multiple Ezekiel Elliott games. They can have a both backfield game. Then if you have to against Tampa Bay in the opening game, you can let Dak unleash it to Amari, CD, and then Michael Gallup. Or you can play conservatively in some ways, pick your spots with downfield plays, sit behind the running game, and a you know league average to above average defense. To me, that's enough to cover this spread of of 4 against the patriots what do you think same
1: the the patriots are struggling they, yes. I mean, they almost lost to the texans and there's like a not a huge ceiling all of a sudden to me the cowboys are like playing conservative because they can and i don't think that the patriots defensive line is ready for what this offensive line's doing, they they ran like pin pull like ten times last game, and they were running awesome like little uh, play action things to the, the flats to Zeke Elliott. There was a bunch of cool stuff going on uh, in addition to the jet sweeps and all that fun stuff that you're getting. So the Cowboys can beat you in any way they want to, and I think that it's going to be another kind of ground and pound game for the Cowboys just because the Patriots are uh, sixth in the NFL on defense on letting teams run the ball against them in neutral situations. So uh, teams are choosing to run the ball on the Patriots. The Cowboys have been choosing to run the ball on the Patriots, their 30th and neutral uh, uh, pass rate right now. So I think it's another week for Zeke, four point favorites, the fifth highest team total, get him in there. And then you're just hoping that CD lamb and Mark Cooper make a big play because like, I'm not sure if they're going to get the 10 targets like that we signed up for earlier on. It's going to be more of closer to six to eight targets every week. And they're certainly good enough to make, make do on that, especially with the total this
0: high. Right. They're too good to be honest with you. They're like too good now to support both those wide receivers every single time. But I think we'll also get some matchups later on in the year where that's going to be necessary. And we, we can say like, Oh, this is, this can be a CD and Amari game. Yeah. I mean, I, I read a lot of content out there, consume a lot of content every single week. And a lot of people cite like, Oh, at home when the Patriots are more than, you know, a field goal underdog, they cover X amount of times. I think you can throw out the history books with this right now. Cause this Patriots team is just constructed differently and on paper, not the identity that they want it. Like they're trying to figure it out in the fly. Hayden it's, it's pretty clear when you consider like Johnny Smith, they gave a whole bunch of money to isn't even running pass routes and not being a good player for this team. And when you go and rely on your offensive line, that was in COVID situations and not healthy. And you might gain some of those pieces back. It's pretty clear that they're like an 11 personnel team, a spread out team and letting Mac Jones deliver the football. And that's not who they wanted to be right now. We do need to talk about this backfield though on the Patriots. So let's bring that up. I have this from Mike Reese. Now this came out this morning where Damien Harris was limited or didn't practice, excuse me, on Wednesday, did on Thursday morning, but here on Thursday, Mike Reese believes that Damian Harris may or may not be in action that almost certainly would lead to Ramondre Stevenson, but more importantly, possibly because of this game script, Brandon Bolden is obviously the one with passing down work.
1: This tweet was before the practice on Thursday Correct. though. So I think that Damian Harris is going to play. And I think Damian Harris is going to start even after the fumble. They kept using him yep. late in the game. Ramondre Stevenson got in when Damian, Damian Harris was like actually out and Ramondre Stevenson himself right now. It's, He's not getting it done either. He's 99th out of 103 running backs in PFF grade for running backs. He has a fumble. He's averaging 2.1 yards per carry. So it's not like Rwander is not as good as Damian Harris still. So if Damien's out there, Damien's going to play. And I think this is not the game script for Damian Harris to have a, a big game, but hopefully they get two of their linemen back from last week. Ah, uh, right. we now we now officially know Trent Brown's on injured reserve, so we can't like can't hold out hope for for Trent Brown. Like we made it through five <laughs> weeks trying to do that; it's not going to happen. So the offensive line is going to be bad. I think it's like twenty eighth in in PFF grade right now. Um, so it's just going to be a bunch of weird Damien Harris. None of the ceiling here is is very no. appealing.
0: No, I mean it, it's it's whoever's getting those touches inside the five yard line, inside the ten yard line. Damien converted one; he was three inches from converting another one, and uh, that would have made his day. That would have made his day. And I, I'm with you. I mean, as soon as even after his fumble and even after one of his injuries, because he, he sustained two this past week, and they still tried to Damian Harris out there over Ramondre Stevenson until he was like finally ruled out. That's when Stevenson got in. Shaq Mason, their guard, he should return to practice. Yeah. Soon. So the, the
1: the three of the four linemen that they were missing last week should be back.
2: Yeah.
0: Kobe Myers, end zone or no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Starting as a wide receiver, three and hope regression. He is like so due for some positive regression, my
0: lord. Las Vegas Raiders. They are three and two. They have a new coach. The Denver Broncos, who they're facing, are three and a half point favorites. Also three and two with a total of forty four. Here, I don't have many notes written down for this game, Hayden. It stands out to me that on the Broncos' side of this equation, Cortland Sutton, I believe, is second in the NFL in air yards. Uh, Melvin Gordon continues to be limited or mispracticed throughout the week. And I want to throw out there that Jonathan Hankins, and this is a very detailed note to start off with this conversation, but Jonathan Hankins, the nose tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders, who's played very well this season, missed his second straight practice. So I'll throw it all out there so we can move on quickly. Javante Williams, Benji, big call, but Javante oh, Williams, Benji. man. Wow. You are aggressive. Okay. Uh, Yeah. This would
1: be the the game script that you're hoping for. And especially if the Raiders come out flat without uh, one of their better players too. But I mean, last week, week five snaps, Melvin Gordon, 36 of 30 Javante Williams only at 25. So I still feel like we're a couple weeks away from the Javante. If ever.
0: And by the way, I I keep seeing people suggesting, Oh, in the second half, it's going to happen for Javante. We have seen that happen with rookies in the past, but Melvin Gordon is doing nothing to lose this job and lose his opportunities. And it's working with a split backfield. So it could potentially happen, but it's nothing detrimental that Melvin Gordon is bringing to the table for that to happen.
1: Yeah. He's totally fine. Like totally fine. He's
0: exactly what the Broncos signed up for when they they signed him. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. I guess we can move on from that game. Anything on the, on the Raiders. And we talked a lot about Josh Jacobs in the uh, usage conversation. If you want to check that out, that show, that show from Tuesday. All right.
1: Real quick, uh, people are asking, what's a Benji? Our Benji of the week is us predicting a 100-yard performance. So running backs, right. wide receivers, whatever happens, uh, I'm balling on them. Josh is doing okay on them. I, I'm, not, I'm not loving the Javante call, Josh. you You're not? This is bold. This is bold, man.
0: 100 pounds. 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, not expecting that one. Had to bring that one out. I'm glad I still had that one up uploaded. That's hopefully, Uh, Hopefully you're on the YouTube video to check that one out. Okay. Primetime games. Geno Smith back in our lives on the two and three Seattle Seahawks. 42 and a half total in this one. Sorry, Geno. With Pittsburgh favored by five points, and they're also two and three. Let's start with a serious statement, though, Hayden. Chase Claypool has an opportunity, not just a top 24 week last week, top 24 week this week but potentially a top 24 wide receiver season the rest of the way
1: you ready for a good benji call josh chase claypool of benji I, I of that the one week
0: you. my <laughs> lord so
1: the reason why obviously juju smith being out opens up a 20 percent target share that's what he had in the first two weeks when all three of the receivers were healthy the big note though is just the the two wide receiver sets in Juju Smith led the team last year with 44 of them, Deontay 36, Chase Claypool did at four. So he was not involved in any of those situations. And I think that right now they, the Steelers have incentives to play two tight ends. Pat Fryermuths look totally fine to me. They have Eric Ebron. And right now, like the rotation for the third spot is going to be James Washington out wide or Ray Ray McLeod in the slot. And just historically, if you look uh, wide receivers playing in two wide receiver sets, average 0.64 more yards per route run than compared to when there's three wide receivers on the field, so we know Chase Claypool's a baller. Uh, Big Ben doesn't look maybe as toast as we were thinking. Like maybe he left it like at nine to ten on the on on the toaster instead of ten out of ten. And I think that Chase Claypool has plenty enough skills to overcome this. And the Seahawks defense is just beyond pathetic. 25th and passing EPA. So that's how you do a Benji of the Week call. I'm looking forward to being what four four and two going into next week.
0: Hundred pounds. <laughs> Had to do it for the stampers in the chat, a loyal follower, a loyal viewer. He asked for it. We put it out there. I like that. I like that a lot. The thing on Big Ben, it's it's up and down every single week. And Hayden, we even saw it last week where he was forced to hold on to the football. Whenever he gets, like, touched in the pocket, he's down on the ground. He's He's flailing. It's like a turtle who can't turn over. It's it's really not good. But what he did do to start last week's game was hit, you know, third and three, third and five shots to Deontay Johnson to chase Claypool. I'm not saying that he is going to be a quarterback who stays hot for an entire game, but last week we got a half, and that's all that we needed. That is all that we needed. My only request is I know Rayburn McLeod is going to see most, most of the slot wide receiver snaps but when we get 12 personnel out there, if we can get a little bunch set with Chase Claypool to operate him closer to the line of scrimmage, closer to the formation and allow him to, you know, work that middle of the field area. Cause he can just outrun. He's an alpha. He's an alpha man. He's a beast. There's a lot. Go ahead. Over, under 13 and a half targets for Deontay. Under. Okay. Under. That's a lot. <laughs> 13 Dude. and a half targets is a lot. I don't know, man. <laughs> What does this offense change with Geno Smith at quarterback in Seattle? You know me. I've had this galaxy brain theory that even from his days in West Virginia, it was a lot of crisp passing. It was a lot of timing passing. And we haven't gotten that from Russell Wilson ever. And, you know, even from week one, it was, you know, some layups and then just taking your vertical shots. To me, I'm still trying to figure out what Shane Waldron is. And I think it always starts at the top. With Pete Carroll and just his identity of what he wants his his offense to be, uh, it's an impossible, you know, thing to predict. But how do you expect Geno Smith to operate and function with Tyler Lockett and T.K. Metcalf?
1: I think he's one of the better backup quarterbacks, just from like the one glimpse we've had. We've at least seen him be somewhat productive in general. So I think they'll be fine. And, but the problem is, is the Steelers' defense is, is getting a little bit better, um, a little healthier. So I think that they're going to be, um, it's going to be a tough spot for, for Geno um, on the road on Sunday night football in, in Pittsburgh. But I, I do think that he has enough skills to throw the ball to six foot four, 230 pound DK Metcalf. And I think that Tyler Lockett has more than enough juice to make some big plays. And like you said, if your theory of this is a quick game, uh, freaking air raid West Virginia toss it out to to Tyler Tyler Lockett. We could we can see we can see them at least stay afloat. So I, I I'm kind of viewing it as like all right, drop them 12 spots in wide receiver rankings each of them. Uh now Lockett's more of like a wide receiver 3, Metcalf's more of like a wide receiver upside wide receiver 2 and then just get out of there. I think that this this shouldn't completely crater the yeah. offense we hope.
0: I'm trying to close my eyes and like envision what it can look like. I think to me, it will hurt Tyra Lockett more because the way he gets home are those, you know, beautiful moon deep shots that Russell Wilson throws better than anyone and how they're like so in sync with that. I don't think Gino's gonna do that. But with DK, he is someone who can take a slant or take a curl or take an over route to the house. And almost any quarterback can can match up with him, with him there. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, the Vegas is projecting the Seahawks to score the second-fewest points of the week. So, like, we have to keep our expectations in order. If if we get a big game from either one of Lockett or Metcalf, I'll take it. And I think that the Chris Carson stuff, even if he does come back, he's just not being targeted. The game script's going to be bad. There's not going to be as many goal line opportunities. So, I think that Chris Carson goes to the bench. If you need Tyler Lockett in your lineup, I'd start him. And then you're for sure starting DK Metcalf. You have to kind of roll the dice there.
0: All right. One more game. Everyone that's here. Right now, appreciate the chat. Just having a great time with each other, with us. Like and subscribe if you're tuning in on the podcast feed. Check out the YouTube, Underdog Fantasy. Just having a great time. Let's close out with a fun one. Buffalo Bills, Tennessee Titans, total of 54. The 4-1 and Bills, another team, arguably, and who I might put number one, the best team in the NFL at the moment. I mean, Josh Allen last week, not much volume, but 20 yards per completion seems good. The Kansas city chiefs. And now guess what? He gets the Tennessee Titans defense. I mean, also how many defenses out there? I'll get to that in a moment. Let's just talk about the bills. Okay. Because in some ways, Hayden, there are two key pieces of this offense that a lot of us didn't or couldn't predict be fantasy viable each and every week. The first one is Dawson Knox. Who's being left out there all the time. Now who's also an intermediate and downfield threat. And if he's taking away from anyone, it's Cole Beasley. And then in the running game, because the bills now have a great defense, Zach Moss is being an important piece in the second half of these games as well. Cause he's the trusted player when they're in positive game script.
1: And I think that it's going to stay like that just because Zach Moss is going to get all these goal line opportunities. He's right now is the RB 13 and inside the five opportunities per game over the last four weeks when he's been healthy. So that keeps him into that flex consideration. And then Dawson Knox tight end 11 and routes, uh tight end two and red zone targets, because once again, the bills offense is dialing up. Now the Cole Beasley stuff got me pretty tilted last week because he only ran a route on 49% of dropbacks. But Coach John McDermott said that that was game plan related, and I went back and I watched it, and it wasn't a second tight end. It was this freaking Reggie Gilliam fullback, H back dude. And I think the reason why that he played a season high twenty two snaps is because the Bills wanted to play uh, against the Chiefs linebackers, and to get that third linebacker onto the field, they bring in this guy, and they had the second or their highest. 12 personnel ranking in the entire year. So I think that this was kind of random. And I think that this was just because the chiefs linebackers are so bad. They wanted to use this guy. I mean, this guy never plays. So I think right. that we should go back and we should see more spread stuff from the bills. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Cole Beasley goes out there and, and runs around 80% of dropbacks as usual. Of course though, Emmanuel Sanders has surpassed Cole Beasley in our rankings rest of the season this week, the whole thing he's been balling out, but I think that Cole Beasley could still in a PPR league kind of get there with the bills projected for the second most points of the week.
0: What about the Titans then? Because we know they made a huge move for Julio Jones. He played earlier in the season. AJ Brown still hasn't gotten there this year. Hayden just for the second time since July on Sunday, excuse me, Monday night, we could potentially see this pairing on the field at the same time because it's only Thursday well, H- Julio Jones has gotten, I think, two full practices in this week. Ryan Tannehill, when I look at like these quarterbacks and go through these offenses each week, Ryan Tannehill is still extremely accurate, still dominating as a play-action passer. At some point, it's a very long season. It would be shocking if both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones don't put it together at some point this season.
1: I will note, though, that Ryan Tannehill is bottom five in EPA per dropback under pressure. And right now, the Titans are uh, 31st out of 32 teams in adjusted sack rate. Not great news when you have the Bills who can rotate about, what, nine defensive linemen right now. So I think that he's going to have to play better under pressure. And obviously, when you're throwing the ball to, like, freaking Nick Westbrook and these guys, it's way different than A.J. Brown, who's a positive regression candidate. Go listen to the last episode about that. Hopefully, they get Julio Jones there. Um, But this is the right game environment for those receivers and for Ryan Tannehill to have a a bounce back spot here. The problem is just the Bills defense looks way better. Tredavious White did a great job against uh, Travis Kelsey last week. He can play against the physical types like an A.J. Brown. But still, I think that A.J. Brown positive regression in this matchup, I think that he could uh, take a a pretty big, big game here
0: um, in negative game scripts. Now, what we've seen, he's the cover boy this week. There are no comparable players to Derrick Henry in the NFL. So just like stopping him and slowing him down, the way to do that is to get positive game script on the Titans. It's not necessarily that you can just stop Derrick Henry one-on-one. Now, your point about the Bills defense is, is one I wanted to bring up because like how many defenses in the league can you put out there and say, "Okay, this unit changes the game." Like In certain times in previous seasons, we've said that, you know, about the Rams defense, about the Steelers defense, the Jaguars defense, like a decade ago, it feels like. I think the Bills are that unit this season, which is terrifying when you consider they're attached to this offense as well. And a huge departure. I think this is why people aren't saying it yet about this team, because they were awful last season. I mean, they were one of the bottom five, bottom seven units in the league, but Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, defensive minds, they continue to build strengths on strengths. Their two safeties are almost interchangeable in how they do things. And they're fast, they're athletic, and they're deep. And that is what's frightening week on week, where, again, if we want to respect one defense in the league, I know there's a lot of big names out there, and the Bills might not have like that one premier player, but right now, in terms of their health and their status and how they're playing and how they're changing things up on a weekly basis, it feels like, to me, the Buffalo Bills are that team.
1: First in defensive passing EPA and first in defense rushing EPA. Oh, first against fantasy quarterbacks, first against uh fantasy wide receivers. So yeah, the Bills, the Bills are lit. And I think it's just a credit to Sean McDermott. Like when you're talking about like who are the best coaches in the league, like Sean McDermott to me is like right up there. Uh, with the best of most. And if you want to go to Peacock TV, Josh and I have a little uh, interview, <laughs> promo code Applebees. If you want to go listen to that interview uh, at the Combine from a couple of years ago,
0: uh, it was just last year. No, two years ago. That was two years ago. That was just pre COVID. Shout out to the Bills PR department. they I mean, they are more open than anyone. Brandon Bean was awesome. Sean yes. McDermott was super fun. We asked Sean McDermott uh, about the, uh, the gladiator style bouts that could happen with head coaches around the league and that he was yeah. consistently mentioned as a favorite. And he dug that he's like, yeah, I might've heard about that there was,
1: we asked that. two great questions looking at you asked about Dawson Knox and like what his athletic profile was. And I asked him if Devin Singletary is ever going to get the goal line roll. And we got a no answer from that. So I think that <laughs> I took that as a yes. So that that podcast from two years ago on the peacock was like our best word ever.
0: Oh, it crushes. It absolutely crushes. Okay. By the way, your Benji, Chase Claypool, my Benji, Javante Williams, and our underdogs together, Hayden Winks, the Los Angeles Chargers, overcoming the Baltimore Ravens. Fair? Let's do it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is only a week six
2: thing. (laughs) Only for week
0: six for the people that are here in the chat. Thank you for being here. Everyone, hope you enjoy Thursday Night Football. Hope you join us once again. Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, we launch with Animal for an Hour, answering your phone calls. Then Hayden and I jump on from about 11 to 12.30. It's all about you. We treat your lineups like our lineups and try to make good decisions and create some good pick'em lines. By the way, the pick'em lobby is about to go nuclear tonight. Go and check that out. $10 for free. Skip the guacamole, deposit on underdog for the first time. You get a free 10 bucks. Pick five correct, 20 exit. And again, Sunday night, instant reaction show as well. William, Quicker, Raphael, Macho, Connor, and Scampers. Thank you for being here. Hayden, YouTube buddy, up the damn villa against wolves. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.